This is the Mountain Practice Journeys podcast, and I'm your host, Cindy. I gladly welcome you to this comfy, cozy space for introverts, highly sensitive people, and solopreneurs who help and heal. This is a place for practical, nature-based, magical support for your business and life. Gather around the hearth, get comfortable, and settle in. I'm glad you're here. Hello there, and welcome back to the Mountain Practice Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Cindy. Here in episode 96, I continue my conversation with Emily Ann Brandt about how we can begin to decolonize coaching spaces. If you're in any type of helping field, this is a very important episode to tune into. Be sure to take notes as well as take action. This is the second part of my conversation with Emily, so be sure to tune in to episode 95 if you haven't already. Now on to our conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Mountain Practice Journeys podcast. I'm joined again today with Emily and Brant, and we had a conversation last week that was amazing, talking about uh, decolonization decolonizing personal development, spirituality and coaching and just some of the some of the concerns that there are in the coaching community and how we can how we can move forward and do better. So this is part 2 of that conversation. So welcome back Emily. Thanks. Thanks. I'm so excited to be back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I know in the first episode we talked about a little bit about what got you into this um this work and so if you want to hear that then go back and check out the last week's episode. But so if you want to do just a little little brief intro, like who you are, and then we'll continue our conversation. Sure. Yeah. So again, I'm Emily. Um, pronouns are she, her. I am an Indigenous author, mentor, speaker on a mission to decolonize the personal development industry. So I love to help powerful leaders create more inclusive and safe spaces. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Mm. So today digging into, I know that, yeah, last week we talked about what some of the problems are, but like, it's such a big issue. Like all this is ingrained in our culture. Just the, when we think about colonialism and capitalism and white supremacy and all this, it's just, we're, we're steeped in it. And sometimes it can take a, a lot of effort and a lot of work to move out of that and start seeing things in a different lens. So what are some of the ways that people can get started and that we can move forward? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the best best place to start is to first um, define what it even is decolonization, because that word has kind of become a buzzword over the last couple of years, almost used like as a metaphor. People don't really know exactly what it means. Um, So to understand decolonization, we need to understand colonization. And so colonization was and is an ongoing process in which um, states from Europe assumed the rights to take over the lands, the lives, the power of indigenous peoples who had literally done them no harm, no wrong. Um, and also decided that, oh, there's different um, there's different groups of people. And then they made this construct of race where like, oh, you're that race and we're this race and white be- whiteness became a race, even though people were originally very distinctively like, no, I'm Irish, I'm Scottish, I'm um, English, Polish, whatever it was. But in the process of colonization, when it was decided that people with white skin who have such and such beliefs and look this way and speak this way, they're superior, it became the best option to become white. And so colonialism is really just another, a prettier word for white supremacy. It's the belief that um, 
one race is dominant in, in, in every single way, um, emotionally, intellectually, um, religiously superior, right? Physically, all the things. And so whiteness became the standard, the gold standard for what it is to be a human. And that affects every area of life. So this ideology that one race is superior, it got embedded into our institutions. So our schools, all of our education, our hospitals, our legal system, um, police system, like every single system is embedded with this ideology of white supremacy. And that's why I'm saying it's ongoing. It's not like, oh, colonization happened in such a such a year and now it's over. And I think that's a common misconception. Something we hear all the time as indigenous folks is like, why can't you just get over it? It's in the past. It was in the past. But it's an ongoing process. So these these ideologies are still embedded in everything. They're everywhere. And this trickles into interpersonal relationships and the way we perceive others and interact with others, whether it's conscious or subconscious, right? We have that belief of, the. remember again, the whiteness being the gold standard for what it is to be human. So of course, that that also gets internalized. So those are the four eyes of oppression. There's the ideology, there's the institutional, interpersonal, and then internalized. So all of us have internalized white supremacy and colonialism and this culture that decided it's the dominant way, it's the way we must be, it's what also created this like hustle and grind culture and that we need to produce, produce and, um, you know, this hyper focus on capitalism, on individualism versus community, all of that comes from that. So when we say decolonize, we mean actively undoing this ongoing process of colonialism and actively doing each doing our part to dismantle that. And so when we look at decolonizing the coaching industry, which is where I focus, because when I think about decolonizing the world, I get very overwhelmed, right? It's literally everywhere. It's in everything. So I decided to start with the corner, the little corner of the world and the internet that means the most to me, which is the space of coaching and wellness. Um, So I like to break it down into uh, sort of three things, mindset, words, and actions. And decolonization really needs to be all three of those things. So it's ideas that we unlearn and learn. It's um, words that we can speak. And then it's actions that we can take to, again, actively undo that process of colonization. So I think the very first place to start would be just understanding that and wrapping your head around that. And then secondly, making peace with the fact that this is a lifelong journey. Right. Because like like you said, Cindy, we've all been steeping it in it for our entire lives and it's going to take the rest of our lives to unravel and untangle and unlearn um, and then some. Right. And hopefully the next generations will continue this unraveling and continue this work. So I think right off the bat, just making peace with um, which goes against what we're taught in colonial societies, that everything should be like instant gratification and check a box and we're done. Get the certification and then we're done. Um, just make peace with, no, this is this is a lifelong journey. Make peace with imperfection because we're going to get things wrong. We're going to make some mistakes along the way. And that's good. That's how we learn. Um, so making peace with those, like those are huge things. Um, but I would say that's that's where you start. And then you can start the unlearning and learning and and then move into mindset and action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important is realizing that it's going to take a while. It's not something that we check the box. And also what you touched on is like, it doesn't have to be perfect. And I think perfectionism is so, so harmful. And 
with it being part of white supremacy, that there's like this perfection that we've been trained to try to achieve. And it's so scary, like not to be perfect. And I know for me, I did a podcast episode a while back, uh, apologizing for my silence. And I know exactly what it was. It was that perfectionism, like fear of, yeah, I want to stand up. I want to say things, but I'm going to get it wrong. What if I upset someone? What if I, and just all of these, like not having the, not knowing the perfect way to do it. And there's now knowing like there's not a right way to do this. You stumble, you try, you learn, you get up and try again. And that's, and I think getting that having that mindset where I'm just going to keep trying. I know I'm going to get it wrong, but I'm going to keep trying over and over again. And and that's really all that you can do. So I think that's the most important thing, especially talking to all of my white people out there. Like I know that that keeps a lot of people frozen and just like, please let that go. Please let the perfectionism go and know that you're going to get it wrong, but you need to try. You need to like make some, make some progress in this area. Like it's just, even when I'm reading um, the book, white women, like all of our lives depend on it. It's not, it's, it's white people too. We need to dismantle, you know, white supremacy and, and decolonize and all of that. It's super, super important for everyone's well-being. Yeah. I was just going to mention the book, white women, because they, the authors do a really good job of breaking down how perfectionism really does stem from white supremacy and how white women are constantly so worried about being nice that they don't actually do what's kind and what's kind is doing the right thing and standing up for what's wrong and um, dismantling these toxic systems. But because it's so ingrained in, in white women to be nice, don't rock the boat, smile, be polite that that actually leads to a ton of harm. I have been way more harmed by my white friend's silence than I have from overt racists. Like truly, mm-hmm. that's what hurt me way more than an overtly racist comment on the internet is is the silence of my my white friends because they want to be they want to be liked, they want to be perfect and that perfection is it is literally killing us and hurting us all, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, so yeah, that first piece, the the mindset, knowing that it's going to, it, it's lifelong work and not burning yourself out in the beginning, because I understand, like, I know around 2020 and with George Floyd's, Floyd's murder, like it was uh, a lot of people like jumped into action and burned themselves out. And then it's like, well, you know, people of the global majority, they don't get to take a break from this. They don't. So we need to pace ourselves and to, to just view this as lifelong work. Yeah, absolutely. It it became everybody's um, urgency and emergency to do anti-racism work in 2020. And then people slammed themselves into discomfort that they have never had to face. And they just like dived right in, uh, dove right in and um, didn't create space for that, like resting when needed. And I think that's honestly why it didn't sustain why we saw so many people doing the work then and now they're no longer talking about these things or doing the work. And um, some people have said like, oh, that's because it was trendy then and now it's kind of not. But I honestly think that it's it's because of the sustainability piece is that people got so, so uncomfortable and didn't know that it's it's going to be lifetime process. It's not going to be like a one course and then you're done. Um, and then that perfectionism kicked in and it was like, yeah, okay, well, I can't do this perfectly anyway. So I'm out. And a lot of people just peaced out and there goes all our 
allies, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think the thanks for touching so much on the sustainability piece. You know, I'm always telling um, you folks in the DCC to like, take breaks if you need this is big, big work, right? And you're right, like, we don't, we don't get a day off from feeling the ancestral pain from feeling the oppression from having things that come to us that are sometimes outside of our control, um, like harm that comes our way and hearing things in the news, what have you. Um, but I still also like, I will take breaks if I need to from doing this work, because otherwise, yeah, it's not sustainable, I'm going to burn out. Um, and we all need to, to do the work, whatever we need to do to rest so we can keep doing this work um, in the long for the long run. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's so important. And the the next part, talking about the words, like how we can can support with our words. So to speak a little bit more to that. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot that I teach on what not to say, <laughs> like how not to gaslight your how to ungaslight your clients. Right? It's it's honestly more of um, active listening and less trying to fix things with your words, which we tend to do as coaches or trying to reframe things. But when you when you try to like coach someone out of systemic racism, it's just like, it doesn't work because it's not possible. We can't like mindset our way out of this. We just need to be seen. We just need to be heard. So a lot of it comes down to actually like speaking less, listening more, holding space, val and then validating um, your clients of the global majority and validating different lived experiences, right? And just honoring that. Um, but in terms of what you can say, I always say, um, start by acknowledging your privilege, which you have done so beautifully, um, Cindy, a few times. I know you continue to do it regularly. That would be a big green light for me um, if I was looking for a coach and considering working with a white woman again, I would want to see that they are at least acknowledging the privilege that they hold in being in a white body. And privilege, because um, I know that word, like a lot of people don't even use it anymore. It really can trigger people. I just want to remind folks that privilege is simply the absence of oppression. It doesn't mean like a special um, that you were born with all this money or like any sort of um, step ahead necessarily, but it's that you weren't born with being five steps back or five steps underground, right? Because the systems are literally, were literally built for the comfort and the success and the thriving of white folks. And I understand that there's all sorts of layers that come into that too, um, like wealth, privilege, and, uh, you know, differently abled bodies, lots LGBTQIA, like lots of, there's a lot of intersecting identities, but still, if you have your whiteness, you have privilege, you mm -hmm. have um, more influence, you have um, more safety, you have, you have lots of privileges just in that. So I think um, people, especially when they're talking about how to be successful and how to grow and how to even like, um, you know, one person in our program is doing a program on visibility and overcoming the visibility wound. So she's acknowledging that visibility is intersectional, right? That's not the same um, for an Indigenous person to be visible is very, very difficult and can also bring up a lot of trauma and fear that is valid because we are literally 12 times more likely to be missing and murdered as Indigenous women. Um, so it's like just acknowledging that you don't have to have all the answers or know all the things, but know your own privilege. Because if you don't see your own privilege, then you're not going to see our oppression. And therefore, you're not going to be able to see us. You're not going to be able to hold space for us. And it's not going to be a safe experience. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the most important things is sitting with discomfort because there are going to be a lot of things that are triggering. Like you're going to, somebody might hear the word white privilege and just be super triggered. It's like, well, I grew up really poor and I didn't have the means to go to college or there's like all of these. And it's like, but yeah, but if someone of the global majority was in the exact same position as you, you would still have your white privilege. Like there are all these different. And then if you're a male versus a female, like there's so many different ways that that these can intersect. So I think just taking a moment, anytime you're triggered by something and just sit, just sit with it and, and be still. And cause I know in the book, white women, they talk a little bit about that. Like it's, it's going to be uncomfortable, but it, instead of running away from it or dismissing it, just, just sit with it. So I, I just really encourage people to do that. And it has been so helpful for me to even just think about my privilege and being able to share that with people because it's, it's it's a long list and it's really um it's really humbling it bring, it it just there's something about it when you do take the time to do that and share that with people it it does help to build that trust because it means that you're not oblivious to it you're not dismissing like like we talked about in the last episode where a coach can have this five step formula to success and it's mainly because of all their privileges. Maybe they have uh, had wealthy parents and they might not have to work. So they do have all this time to uh, to sit and, and, you know, do their abundance work. And they see themselves represented because we talked about the representation. Mm-hmm. And there can be just so many steps and areas of privilege where it does make it so much easier for one person to have this thing or achieve this thing than someone else. So I think just spending some time and recognizing that and thinking about it. Yeah. And it doesn't take away from the success that that you've created, right? Like Mm -hmm. just because you've had those privileges doesn't mean you didn't work hard. It doesn't mean you don't deserve it. I think the biggest feeling that can surface in terms of discomfort is like guilt. Um, And what I always say is like, we, we, we don't need your guilt though. We need you to process that, be with that, and then turn it into action, right? Because like guilt's not going to do anything, right? So like channel that energy and turn it into positive action because your business, regardless of what kind of business you have, it can be a vehicle for um, decolonization. It can be a vehicle for social justice, whether or not you signed up to do like social justice work, right? I always say it doesn't matter what your niche is. If you're an entrepreneur, you're a policymaker. You hold so much power. That's why I love entrepreneurship. We hold, we literally hold power to change the world, to change policies, to make real difference. Um, So even if your niche has nothing to do with um, social justice or equity, it doesn't matter. Every single business can be used as um, a vehicle and a channel for social good and good business. You can make good money and do good. So I want everyone to remember that. And yeah, give yourself space to feel the uncomfortable feelings. I'm not someone who um, shuts down white tears if people cry in my world because there's so much compassion and you're feeling the pain when I tell my story or when you hear about experiences that you've not lived through. Um, I think that that just means that you care. If you're using tears as a way to get out of a conversation or when you're being called out and you're kind of weaponizing them, yeah, then that's that's weaponized tears. But I think when the the emotion's genuine and it's just coming from this place of true empathy and um, 
compassion, then that can be channeled into something really beautiful. Those tears can actually water really, really important seeds and um, spark this change that we're creating. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a very important distinction. And I love how you hold space for that. Cause I know in some of our community calls there, there are, you know, some emotions, there's sadness and, you know, one where we were talking about just being, everybody was so sweaty. We were just sweating because we were just (laughs) nervous and just being able to have these conversations, but it was so beautiful. Yeah. And I love that. We're just, we can be honest with each other about that. Like I told you all, I was sweating as well. And my thought before our first call was like, this is my first time really interacting with people live. There's no slideshow to hide behind. It's just me face to face with like me, one indigenous person, and then a group of white, white coaches. Um, and I was like, I don't have Asha Frost with me. I don't have Sharin with me. I don't have Sharon. It's just me. And like, what, what if something goes sideways and it's just me? Like that was my honest thought. And I, I was able to share that with you all because of this very, like just courageous space that we all co-create together. So um, I appreciate you all for creating that with me. It's it's something really special. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. And I know that we talked a little bit about, um, I'm assuming that maybe the speaking about the privilege, like that's words, and it could also be an action by sharing that with other people, but thinking about the action part of it, if there's, you know, another one or two little things you would want to share with someone, how they can show up with action. Yeah. Yeah. Action's huge. Don't forget action. (laughs) Mindset and words are great, but we need to see actions as well. Actions speak louder than words, as they say. Um, so for action, there's so many things you can do in terms of action. I think the biggest thing is examining, um, where, where are your dollars going, right? How can you, um, and if you don't have dollars to spend, but first let's just talk about dollars. So are you constantly investing in white coaches and mentors? Why like examine who you're, who you've been paying, who have you been paying for your virtual assistant, for your photography, for your website, for your branding, are there ways that you can actively seek out folks of the global majority who have much less earning power and are traditionally marginalized and excluded from this industry and bring them in? Can you hire collaborators? Can you bring in people who can speak to folks who have different lived experience than you so that they know they have representation in your space? They have a safe person in your space. Um, if, if that is what that person specializes in, right? Just because someone is BIPOC does not mean they can automatically speak to these things because we've all internalized that colonialism. Um, but looking into things like that and also, yeah, so where's your dollar going? Because we truly do vote with our dollar. And if you don't have any dollars to vote with right now, then how can you amplify voices of the global majority that are all too often silenced and just less prioritized, less listened to? Um, Can you have folks on the podcast like we're doing today? Can you share someone else's work who's doing really important work on this topic? Um, Yeah, you can you can support my work. There's there's the free PDF, but then there's also the paid offers, which I encourage everyone to check out. Um, Look at the ripple effects in your own business. Like there's there's a lot. Um, We we certainly go over even more of them in the roundtable and in the DCC curriculum. But I think that's a good place to start is looking at how you can vote with your dollar and you can use your platform, even if you're like, well, I don't have a big following. I don't have a big audience. It doesn't matter. You if you have a life, you have a platform. So Mm -hmm. use it. 
Yeah. I love that you have so many offerings at every tier because you've got the free download and that would be a perfect place to get started if you don't have any dollars. And then next, like the round table. Oh my gosh, the value that you get for that is amazing. So I would hope that every single person listening to this would, would take the round table and with the DCC, the decolonized coach community, like it is amazing. Like the value that I got for the money that I spent on it, it is like amazing. So I would encourage anyone that's a coach or in in this industry to to take that because it is so, so important. Thanks so much. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, and we'll definitely have all the links to those in the show notes and any final thoughts that you want to leave everyone with. Hmm. I guess what I want to say is that I know that if if you're a coach and if you're in this world of improving the lives of others, then I already know that you have a good heart and you want to change the world and you want to make a big difference. So I hope that even though some of my words might have been harsh to hear or um, triggering to hear, I hope that you know that I know that your heart is good. And um, that's what that's why I hold you high. That's why I hold our leaders of this industry high. Um, and I think of you all as leaders, because if you are moving people through transformations, then you are a leader. Even if you're just helping one person so far, you are a leader, you hold more power than you know. Um, and so I hope that you'll make the most of that. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for being here, Emily. And hopefully I can have you back on again, because I know there's a million other topics that we could dig into, but I really do thank you for your time. I would love that. It's been such a gift to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Be sure to tune in next week for episode 97, where I'll be answering the question, what is the witch wound? I'm truly grateful that you choose to join me here for practical, nature-based, magical support for your business and life. For more inspiration and to see what I'm up to, join me over on Instagram at Mountain Practice Journeys. If you're enjoying yourself here, please head over to Apple Podcast and hit those five stars and I'll be over the moon. If you'd like to work with me, join me in Forest Mind, my cozy, supportive, small group mastermind for introverted, highly sensitive solopreneurs who help and heal. And I'd love to see you at a tiny retreat sometime. May the forest be with you.